our industry is buzzing about design brand build and the potential of a truly integrated project development model to supercharge commercial office buildings and live, work, stay, and play development projects. To explore this dynamic in action, Global Consulting Organization recently hosted an expert roundtable at the Miami office of the world-renowned HKS Architects, where it facilitated a discussion that featured three industry-leading creatives, their featured projects, and expertise. Sergio Sainz of HKS Architects, Aaron Buechler of Kim Lee Horn, and Adrian Zolkin of Styles. This futurecast that was recorded live on January 26th touches upon many of the ideas, inspirations, and ideals that will become the foundation for the future built environment. Welcome to our most recent episode of the Global Consulting Organization Futurecast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. And welcome to Design Brand Build, our expert roundtable. A new era in real estate begins today. I'm your host, Amit Egan Datwani, and I'm excited to be joined by my colleagues, Sergio Sainz with HKS Architects, Aaron Buechler with Kim Lee Horn, and Adrian Zalkin with Styles. Please, if we can get a round of applause for our experts, that would be greatly appreciated. This is my son, 12-year-old Krishna, who has, <laughs> by the way, missed basketball practice, no, basketball, middle school basketball game, and, and travel basketball practice, just to be here. And as he told me last night, Daddy, I'm doing you a big favor. <laughs> I told him the check's in the mail. <laughs> So we'll be going down a little bit of a windy road, and I ask you to keep an open mind. There will be some concepts that we're sharing today that may seem like they're a little out there, but we're going to wrap it up in a nice bow so that hopefully by the time you leave, all of it will make sense. And if it doesn't, you have our contact information. We'll be making and creating a podcast and also creating a video. And ideally, this is the first of many, many design brand build events to come. So thank you all for joining us. First things first, we'll be doing a little bit of housekeeping. I'll be introducing you to the concept of design brand build and what exactly it is. We'll then turn to our experts who, just so you know, are working on some of the most notable projects in the entire state of Florida, and some may say in the entire country. We'll also be discussing the importance of branding for the years 2030 and beyond. As many of you know, residential projects have a good amount of focus when it comes to this idea of brand. 
But the question that we're going to pose to you tonight is, why are we not branding commercial projects? Then you'll be privy to a roundtable meeting between the four of us, where you're going to witness the concept of a fully integrated project starting team. And what you're going to see is our new model actively demonstrated so you can see and hopefully see and understand the value of this model firsthand. A few guidelines. If you have any questions, we have a pen and paper on the back table. If you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like us to answer, feel free to get up and write the question down. We may not be able to address it this evening, but it will help us to better understand what we need to do going forward to help you better understand what we're doing. We'll be creating a podcast and a video. If you don't want to be in the video, I would say don't sit closer to us. Try and sit towards the back. <laughs> we will be looking for an interactive experience from the audience. There will be some questions I may ask tonight. I do ask that you do participate. Don't be shy. It will help to better inform the value of this model. After the program, if we have time, feel free to come on up and ask any of us questions. We would love to further engage about this topic and discuss ways we may be able to collaborate in the future. Lastly, but most importantly, please do your best to provide us with your undivided attention. We're all volunteering our time. Putting together a program like this for everyone's time would cost thousands of dollars. And ideally, if we're doing our job well, we can help you and your companies make millions and one day billions of dollars from the insight that you gain here tonight. Before we begin the program, thank you to our sponsors, Garden Butcher, Barry, who provided the food. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. HKS for hosting us in their learning center. Their space here was created for programs like this, for new ideas. And it's been an unbelievable experience so far, and deep thanks, Sergio, to you and your team. Kim Lee Horn and Styles, thank you so much for helping us out with our audio and visual needs. Thank you. And our collaborators, Fernando and Heidi, thank you both so much for your help. Heather with Kim Lee Horn, Devin with Styles, thank you. Aaron and Lisa for helping to introduce this concept to their networks. DJ Skinny, who's right behind me, thank you so much for your AAV and all your skills and insights. We had a few fires that came up, but we were able to manage it. And Cynthia, thank you so much for the help. Okay, so design brand built. A fully integrated real estate development model that is in the process of being designed to supercharge commercial office buildings and live, work, stay and play development projects. That is 
the overview of the package that we're going to provide you with today. And this will give you a conceptual understanding of what it is that we're presenting. And just hands up for anyone that understands just from those words to a certain degree what the heck it is I'm talking about. Fantastic. Okay, great. Hopefully we'll add about 10 more towards the end of the program. So before we get into the round table, I'd like to set the table so you understand a little bit about this journey and what we're going to go on here. The format that we've created is a combination of an information session, think tank, and what I call a collaboratory, a laboratory for collaboration. Why we're using that model is because it's the best model we feel to allow for new ideas to formulate as we're going through this process. As many of you know, we've all changed in the past three years. Please raise your hands up if the person that you are today is 25% different than the person you were in 2019. <laughs> the COVID-50. <laughs> so what we see is that humanity has shifted consciously over the past three years. The idea of not going into an office to work, no one would have thought that was possible 20 years ago, if not less. That's all changed. That's a massive shift in consciousness. The problem is, and this is a major problem, and this is one of the problems we want to address with this model, is that the built environment has not changed. We have changed. Where we live and work has not changed. That's a problem. And there's a reason why we are also going down the road here. And this perspective may be a little bit out of left field, but please bear with me. So there's a why as to why we are going down this road. And it's something that I call the happiness business. I did ask you to actively participate. So please humor me when I say this. Please close your eyes. It will be brief, I promise. You are safe. <laughs> this is the HKS Learning Center. <laughs> so please reflect on your inner state of happiness. I see some of you wincing. I don't mean for this to be a painful exercise. We do have wine for that. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your hand if you feel that you are, and be honest, no one is looking. That's why the eyes are closed, except for me, and your secret's safe of me. Please raise your hand if you feel you are happy. Thank you. You can put your hands down and you can open up your eyes. It's interesting. 
many times when I'm addressing an audience, depending on where I'm at, in Florida, I've noticed I can see more hands. <laughs> in New York, shh, I see less. So the perspective I'm going to offer you here is that we have the opportunity as real estate professionals to help to facilitate people's overall level and feeling of happiness. It's a loaded topic. The topics we talk about today, we're going to give you small pieces of insight. These are very deep topics. There's three ways that we've identified that our experts are going to share with us more. The three ways we can facilitate the idea of happiness is by addressing three parts of a project. The convenience of a project, the experience of a project, and the overall state of well-being that we're able to offer others through them experiencing our projects. And the way we do this is through what we call a fully integrated project starting model. As many of you know, the traditional real estate development models, they operate a little bit in a silo. Architect or architect designs the vision many times in a vacuum hands off to the developer or the investor. Investor says, my God, I love this. Amazing, beautiful. Calls up, project engineer, construction manager, what happens? How the hell are you gonna build that? <laughs> That's 35% above our budget. What happens? It goes back. What's happening? The developer and the investor are just getting so frustrated. Negative energy all over the place. Architect may even get fired. Goes back down. And why is this happening? Because the communication is not open, fluid, and transparent. The design brand build model is based on open communication transparency, and everyone hopefully staying in sync. Because as we all know, hit, raise your hands if you're married. Keep your hands up if you agree with the perspective that when you and your spouse are getting along, your weekends are better. It's no different in a real estate development project. It's just, guess what? The media doesn't talk about it. We hear are talking about it because if we don't talk about it, we cannot progress forward. So the products that we're going to be focusing on in today's talk and going forward will be commercial office buildings and live, work, stay and play development projects. Our experts will be talking about three different modalities, live, work, stay and play development project, vertical community, and 15-minute city. They are all working on these projects that they're going to share with us information on. There are three experts with three different professions, three different companies, and in three 
unique city. So our goal is to give you a wide variety of information and perspectives so you can see how this model could be suitable for a wide variety of projects. So we're going to start off with our host, Sergio Saints, Global Practice Director at HKS Architects. Sergio is a master of hospitality. His feature project is Four Seasons Jacksonville, which is in a larger context, the Jacksonville Shipyards. And he'll be sharing some information with us as to what that experience has been like. So far, so good, everyone? Okay, so we're about to begin. Sergio, can you please start us off by giving us a little bit of the background of you and the Four Seasons brand? And then what's very interesting about this project is that what we had talked about, it's working to potentially elevate an entire city. Most people won't really equate Four Seasons with Jacksonville, but Sergio is going to tell us why we will be able to do that. Sergio? Thanks. So that's a lot to cover. It's a, it's a great question. And, and I guess we'll, we'll try to navigate uh, through it. You know, if, if we go back uh, in time, it was, it was interesting because we were first looking at this project as a transformational project by City of Jacksonville and their, uh, you know, redevelopment agency. And they put out a, a master plan that we won and, and put together uh, probably five or six years ago now. Uh, ultimately, the idea was to attract developers to be able to take on these projects that would be transformational for the city of Jacksonville. And what they quickly realized was that their plans, their visions for how they wanted to do their 15-minute city, their, their uh, let's say, quarter-mile radius, half-a-mile radius, uh, was probably not 100% aligned with what that of the development community wanted to, to, to do at the time. And they were probably looking at uh, Jacksonville as a, as a tier one city in what they wanted to accomplish when it's probably more of a tier two or tier three in the, in the, in the eyes of most developers. And it took uh, a gentleman like Shad Khan who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, who owns uh, the, well, he doesn't own the stadium, but which, in which stadium plays along the shipyards to come in and say, listen, I will take it on, uh, but you need to give me the opportunity to develop it. And in his mind, rather than doing a convention center hotel with a sports and entertainment area to, that they would then develop a live, work, play portion of the community with apartments, etc., he said, no, I have to start with the catalyst that's going to make it, all of that uh, detonate, uh, which wasn't the NFL team, which wasn't the, the, the stadium of the future that you probably some of you have seen announced uh, nowadays, nowadays. In his mind, it was something that brought hospitality into that part of Jacksonville. And hospitality from the vantage point of not the transactional element that most of us are, have been taught to think of. You stay in a hotel, give them your credit card, you spend the night, you might have a great time, you leave and walk away. But rather from the perspective of what the word means, which is hospitable, to welcome strangers and make them feel comfortable. 
and at the essence of every great development of lit work play is built around the idea of comfort. And it and what's comfortable to me today is not what was comfortable to me 20 years ago. I also couldn't afford what was comfortable to me 20 years ago, but that's another problem. The 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 essence of that is what drove the thought of what should this project be? And from that vantage point and that perspective, you know, we had the the advantage of the knowledge that Chad owned the Four Seasons in Toronto and he knew what Four Seasons meant. So we didn't have to convince him. It was his idea to say, I'm going to put a Four Seasons in Jacksonville, to which we all did a Scooby and went, huh? Like, really? Are they going to do that? And, and he said, yes, because I want this project to define what the rest of this environment is going to go and is going to be. Not a number of apartments that are driven by this is how much a square foot for rent we can we can drive and then we'll get people to come and and then it becomes a transient transient fifteen minute city but rather a place where people come and want to live there and stay and in that regard I remember then fast forward uh, years later we were having selections on the interior designer for the residential portion of the project. And, you know, living in Miami and you mentioned there's a star architect that I guess helps sell units and there's a star interior designer that further celebrates that. And everybody came in with that thought and that mind and, and uh, probably present company included. And Shad taught me a, a lesson of, uh, of, of humility and said, guys, I just want to tell you, there's only one brand. And it starts with an F and it ends in seasons. And that's why people are coming here. Everything needs to be supportive of their vision. Everything needs to be about what we all find uh, that we relate to them, that we can expect a level of quality. And, you know, to a very large degree, he's right. You know, we had the blessing or the, for the good fortune of saying he had this operator that was going to dictate quality and is going to tell everyone what the expectation is. So our job was, okay, well, the bar is here. So we can't work to the bar. We have to figure out how to take that above and beyond, all while saying, I don't want the label of being the most expensive four seasons in the country. That one's already taken. Uh, so, so the entire team came together to say, how do we get the identity of a design to be Something that is recognizable, something that would mean this is what Jacksonville is, not today, but where it's going to be tomorrow. And that was the, the, the I guess, obviously the great benefit of having a great owner with a great vision that can say, okay, bare minimum, where can you go from here? And that's a very long-winded end uh, response to no it wasn't it was great and it helped to provide some detailed feedback to i know what has been a tremendously detailed story so thank you for that introduction next up we'll be talking with aaron buchler of kim lee horn aaron has worked on this project for 15 plus years is that right is there anyone in this room that has worked on a project for 
15 years. It's hardcore, the journey he's been on. And Miami World Center is reportedly the fourth largest project in the entire country. It's a $4 billion project. It's a little less than 30 acres. Sizable. Aaron, can you give us a little bit of insight, $4 billion worth in a couple minutes, <laughs> about the involvement that you and your team have had in the project, as well as the types of uses so people get a better sense for what exactly a 15-minute city is. When we started the project, and Meet brought up a very good point, um, oftentimes when you master plan a project, um, the architect is involved and you put out this great vision and there isn't the collaborative effort that needs to go into a project like that when it comes to civil infrastructure and other aspects of the project that are going to drive what it can or can't be. And we were, we were lucky enough to be involved with that in the beginning of Miami World Center to help drive some of that. Because as you might expect in an urban downtown where infrastructure is old and some of it's in place and some of it can't be moved, there are some obstacles along the way that would impede what a vision might be. So we were, we were lucky enough to be involved with that early on. That really helped shape um, what type of density and what type of urban project we could create in Miami World Center. There were several overhead aerial restrictions, metro mover restrictions. We have state and county um, involved as well in this and and uh, and the local municipality, city of Miami, obviously. And then you have the, the DOT coming in with the with the 395 replacement and the new bridge there to to deal with as well in terms of new access points and new circulation. So all of that was happening at the beginning when we were putting the project together and looking at how we might uh, define circulation, define our um, our project, and we were able to, to to collaborate with the agencies, with the owner, to really help. Um, solve a lot of those things that could be big issues later or set you back or have you reworking things with investors and owners. So that was, that was extremely helpful. And what it, what it turned into over time was, um, like Amit mentioned, it's about a 30 acre project. And at the beginning of that project, we realized that we wanted to focus on creating an environment that was pedestrian focused, um, that had great streetscapes that had, um, you know, shade provided open plazas and things and make it easier for pedestrians to move through there. Because at the time, it was nothing but five foot sidewalks, four lanes of cars, and all the county cared about was getting thousands of cars in and out of that area as quickly as you could. We also had surface parking lots that weren't used at all, except to serve the American Airlines slash FTX slash whatever it's going to be tomorrow arena. And, and that's all that anybody used those parking lots for. Everybody was afraid to walk through there. Everybody circulated around it. Nobody used the Metro Mover. And so that was the beginning of what we, we started with in 2005 and a couple of dive bars. And, and what, what was created was um, an entitlement that allowed us to, to develop 18 million square feet without bonuses, 27 million square feet with bonuses, which would, in effect, be larger than the Hudson Yards project. Although you can't, there just isn't the ability to develop 27 million square feet on the, on the project. So, but we got a, a tremendously uh, nice, large entitlement process or entitlement. Uh, ability there and then began developing each of the different parcels throughout there but the streetscape portion of it um, the open plazas and things were really the focus of of the project and to try and make sure that people could live work play and 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 commute through the project be able to walk through the project and connect to all the transit and um, and different amenities that you had in the area 
The project consists right now, we have um, 1,500 residential units developed in three towers that are all occupied. There's 350,000 square feet of retail that is in several stages, uh, most of which will be built out after the anchor comes in, in in a year or so and the rest of that retail will fill up. There are 1,200 additional residential units planned that are under construction. There's 120,000 square feet of medical office building um, that's planned as well. And there there is an office element. We're entitled for an office element, but as everybody can imagine, when COVID hit, that that changed a little bit, and uh, and and we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. But the medical component of it's nice. That's a nice amenity for us to have. And um, we're probably two thirds of the way through building out, or that's under construction. Probably have another third left to go over the next two or three years, and and then at the end of that, there'll probably be maybe a a quarter of the density left to to continue to build. So does that give you a good good summary? Definitely, good four billion dollar summary in three minutes. <laughs> So when I say the word, the words, the main, please call out some of the words that come to mind. Main thing, central, big, street, entrance. Adrian, you heard some of the words. Adrian works in marketing and branding with Styles, and her feature project is the main Las Olas which is a combination of residential and office and retail. I call it a vertical community. She has an experiential office building that is transcending the entire city of Fort Lauderdale. And Adrian, if you don't mind, if you could please give us a little bit of insight. Again, in a couple minutes, I know you've worked on this for several years, but I'm curious if you could provide more of the marketing and branding side. The owner had a vision for the future of what this building could be, and you helped to create it. So if you could provide some insight on that, greatly appreciate it. That's a perfect segue, because I was going to start with the owner. And, you know, really speaking to what Sergio was saying, and I understand the, uh, it's, it's a painful process, development. It's, it's not easy, but it really starts with a vision. It's this very beautiful thing that comes from someone or a group of people that want to create something special. And our visionary was Terry Stiles, who's passed away several years ago, actually about five years ago now. He had a vision for Las Olas that spans decades. He always envisioned downtown Fort Lauderdale to be this 24-7 kind of city. And we've been developing, you know, Styles is a 72-year-old company. We've developed 52 million square feet across the Southeast. Six million of that is in Las Olas alone. That's a lot of square footage when you think about the fact that Las Olas, although it is you know, three miles long from the office hub all the way down to the beach, you're really only developing office in that small financial district, which is a couple of blocks. So we're, you know, six million square feet of office and residential. It all started back in 2005 when we developed a condo building. And Terry said, that's the start of this 24-7 city. We went on to develop several more office buildings over the next few decades, every one of them into some disastrous pandemic or recession. But sometimes when you think you have it all right, you don't have it all right. And something bad happens, but it all worked out. 
So, you know, bring us to 2018 and Terry says, it's time to develop an office building. And everyone said, what? What are you talking about? An office building hasn't been developed in more than 10 years. Are you sure? And he said, I know it. It's time. And there was this perfect place to do it. It was right on Las Olas. There was a very big piece of land and we were able to secure one of the parcels. That's not the parcel we wanted to build the office building on. And so after some forethought and deliberation and a lot of uh, communication between the city and, and other entities, we were able to secure both parcels, one being on Las Olas and one being directly behind it. So this gave us a full city block of opportunity. And Terry said, okay, we've got a full city block. I want you all to come in a room. Just imagine this. I want my developers, my architecture team, my construction team. Styles is a multifaceted company. We have a ton of talent within our walls. Marketing, property management, everyone come sit at this table and just give me your ideas. What are we going to make here? And that's exactly what we did. We peppered the page with ideas and we said, well, it's time for this amazing office building with luxury amenities. What does that even mean? Well, we need another residential that's attached to it. We want it to be a community. What we really need is a grocer. We don't have a grocer on Las Olas. And that's exactly what we did. So with Terry's vision and, uh, you know, he was this amazing guy who just took these risks and knew it would be okay if we just created something that people would want. And unfortunately, he became very sick shortly after that. And so we were all tasked with carrying on this amazing vision. And that was a tall order and it was scary. And I was brought into the process pretty early because of the intensity of this full city block. And really never before in our 52 million square feet did, they, did we bring in marketing and property management and brokerage early in the process. But we did here. And, you know, speaking to what Amit was saying before, when you bring this talent in very early, you can create this holistic vision for a community. And it, it all just makes sense. And everyone's involved from the beginning. So the main was really special. We had 1.4 million square feet to develop. We knew we wanted a multi-use project that would address several different needs on Las Olas. We had office, residential. Um, we were approaching a critical mass in downtown that was making a grocer very attractive and Publix finally said, okay, you're there. The density's there. So we had all these components and we knew we had a lot of restaurant interests. So we had all of these people that were very interested, um, an amazing partner, which honestly was very key in Shorenstein, uh, who helped fund the project. And so, you know, we had to figure out how we were going to incorporate all of those components seamlessly through a brand. And he said, okay, Adrian, you do it. <laughs> and that was, um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's something we had never done before. We've been branding office for years. We've been branding almost every one of our office buildings, but they're, they're individual projects. Um, and we've rebranded them, but never have we had to brand a community that had a luxury residential tower of 341 units, a 350,000 square foot office building with some of the most innovative amenities that are seen today. 
that were not even currently in the South Florida market. No one had 12-foot floor-to-ceiling vision glass that brought in 80% more light than any other office building. No one had 10-foot ceilings. Nobody had an amenity deck with uh, 2,000 square feet of balcony that oversees the city and the ocean. A glass floor on that amenity deck where you can walk across and look straight down to the to Los Olas Boulevard. That's hovering on the 10th floor and it makes you feel like you're in the sky. Fire pits, bars, a gym. All, the, all of those things were afterthoughts in every other office project that had existed in South Florida. And when they're an afterthought, they're incorporated later and they're not seamless. In this case, it was seamless. You can get to anywhere from any point in that project, whether you're a resident of the residential or you are working at the office building. So it really was a vertical community. So we had to figure out how to brand this vertical community while also allowing each of those components to have their own identity. And that's really what the challenge was. And at the end of the day, uh, we chose the main after researching a number of different projects across the U.S., some that were a little bit similar. There are other states that were trendsetting and were, were doing this sort of thing. And then we also had to brand the residential, but to fall under the umbrella. And we did. It's called Novo at the Main Los Olas. Publix is called Publix at the Main. The Main is the office building and it has the Los Olas address, which we felt was key. And so we were able to do this and, and really no one else was doing it here. And it is that vertical community and the branding is the whole story. Thank you. Adrian, thanks for that information. So that was an example of an experiential office building. 100% occupied, record-setting rents for the city of Fort Lauderdale. And you just heard a little bit as to what they put into that building. So that speaks well to the overall model to supercharge commercial office buildings. That's what we need to do going into 2030 and beyond. Who travels on the Bright Line? A couple words that come to mind for the Bright Line. My family and I, we live in Boca Raton and we came down today on the Bright Line. I've been telling my family about the Brightline stop opening in Boca literally for, what, three years, right? <laughs> I love it. Um, I have not invested in it, and it may seem like that as I talk more about it. But it's an example of a successful business slash product in today's built environment that meets convenience. We if we drove down today, would have taken probably, I think, an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, there we go, first hand. <laughs> Instead, we knew what time we were leaving. We knew what time we would arrive. Minor hiccup with the Uber. They have this app that they've, they've connected the Uber app, and you're supposed to have your ride arrive at a certain time. And there was this New Yorker in front of me that was just flipping out because the Uber didn't show up. Of course, and cursing off everyone. <laughs> Minor inconvenience. Experience first. My son had an unbelievable time today, and it was feeling like you were in an airport, right? That's what you said to me. 
And what's cool about that is when you go to an airport, usually you're traveling. If you are traveling for fun, you're getting a little bit of an escape from life. So when you go on the bright line, you kind of get that feeling like you're on vacation during the middle of a workday. It's amazing. Well-being. My wife took a nap. You cannot take a nap on 95. I'm driving on 95. My shoulders are in my ear. <laughs> I'm praying to every single God that I know that it works out okay and I arrive safely. Didn't happen today. Arrived refreshed, arrived happy. My family was happy. Unbelievable experience. An example of a successful business that is going to hopefully succeed for the year, many years to come because it meets three of those criteria. Who plays pickleball? That's it. <laughs> okay. We hear so much, fastest growing sport in the country. My son and I are fanatics. We play every weekend, pretty much. Sir, when you're on the pickleball court, what is the sound that you hear besides the sound of the ball hitting the paddle? I'm glad you said that. So glad. Joy. Remember, happiness business, right? Why is it that pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the country right now? Convenient, great experience for anyone that hasn't played pickleball. We highly recommend it. Such an amazing time. And an unbelievable sense of well-being. Last week when we played, we were laughing. He kicked my butt as he always does. We were laughing the whole time. Completely joyful. Unbelievable. Why I'm bringing these up is we are now going to look at these projects from the perspectives of convenience, experience first, and well-being. Sergio's project is right on the water, right in downtown. It's an amazing location, highly convenient, and it's going to be an unbelievable experience because not only is it a Four Seasons, it's also right next to the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. Sergio, can you give us a little bit of the insights that you and your team have been talking to the client about when it comes to these factors of convenience and experience, how you're designing the project to fit those types of interests? Sure. Uh so from a convenience standpoint, maybe starting there, I mean, I think we, we all look at when you're doing an integrated uh, mixed-use uh, project that has hotel, residential, it has an office building, is you got to understand that, that those three have a different perspective and a different vantage point as to what they're there for. Uh, and so we look at obviously having separate entrances, having their own, their dedicated spaces, privacy, which everybody does, right? I think we're all familiar with that. Uh, but the other essence of it is trying to figure out how to uh, engage within the immediate environment. You mentioned the stadium is there. Uh, there's also a the city of Jacksonville has a federal grant that they're building right now, an automated uh, vehicle uh, link that will drive, I believe it's 12 miles all around downtown. So we have those that 
have their own sidewalk and you know they're into you've seen if you've been to dubai is the same one that you use in dubai uh, but the element of connectivity uh, through that uh, for it to be uh, convenient is important the other piece that we maybe not always talk about is how does one play with one another uh, within those uses how do how do you make sure that that, that integration is is a uh, symbiotic integration and something that one is benefiting from the other but it's also making the other better and that perspective and that vantage uh, point from the design uh, component tends to be a very internal uh, piece right well i know that i can get on my elevator and through my secret door in the residential i can get to the hotel lobby but what if when when we were looking at it we were saying well what if the way we do it is rather than having a typical vertically integrated building what if we split it and they're side by side and now everybody gets to have the vantage point of the amenities that you're spending so much money to use the convenience of being able to get in and out or of turning my back away from them if i don't want to be a part of it and i think when we were thinking of the design party and there's somewhere if you tour the office there's a model uh, but you'll see that it's it's a v and and that v was doing to there were many reasons but one of the guiding principles was to is, uh, enhance everyone's ability for privacy comfort and for the opportunity to be close to everything rather than having distances be so long and and traveling to travel vertically etc and that is essentially became what was driving the experience of of the guest of the resident of those that were coming for an event for dinner and everybody gets to feel it and as part of that we also identified that it's great to have it all but if i'm a resident if i live there i want to have the ability to say i don't want it uh, even though i'm right there and that's probably a little trickier uh, right so our residential units then focused on you know what i can have a corridor down the floor plate because then if i buy a unit that looks at the at all the hotel amenities and I'm stuck with it that's all I'll ever have and I'll be able to see weddings and bar mitzvahs and uh you know end of the year parties etc so every one of our units are see through units every one of our of those units you open up the elevator and you walk into which i think probably north of not far away from here that's non existent so the opportunity of bringing that into a market is going to bring a completely different experience level a completely different level of comfort and the opportunity for every owner to dictate and determine what it is that they want to do what it is that they want to see and some of the units are finished out some of the units are are white boxes to be able to do that thank you sergio and just if you can let the audience know how many projects has hks worked on for the four seasons brand Well we've been very fortunate we've probably designed about 34 built about half of them uh which I'm sure there's a point in the conversation where we talk about our our war wounds uh, uh but you know we've had the opportunity to work for them uh, and with them for over 20 years and 
And to help develop a little bit of what that uh, ethos, we built their programs, we built some of their standards to, so we got a, we have a really good relationship and understanding of, of what it is to develop in an urban environment versus in a fully resort environment in the United States versus in Brazil or in Mexico or in the Middle East. Thank you, Sergio. Miami World Center has access to, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, five mass transit stations. It's not too many projects down here that have access to that. And we're lucky enough to hear from the man that helped to plan that. So please, Aaron, if you don't mind, if you can speak to this idea of convenience from the perspective of mass transit, because one of the most challenging issues today, as we all know, is goddamn traffic. <laughs> we have to solve this issue. We cannot have enjoyable lives with this kind of traffic. It's impossible. You can call your employees in, but if it takes an hour to get in, it's a pain in the butt. So what Aaron and his team are building is a very unique solution. And if you can speak to that, Aaron, and then also how that plays into the experience of the project. Sure, happy to. Um, the, the property... The properties that the, the original developer aggregated specifically had the transit components in mind and realized that the bright line wasn't really a, in the in the picture then, but the metro mover and metro rail stations were were obviously there and, and operating, though not used much at the time. But they, they firmly had that in mind in terms of their development program. So the um, the east side of the project at Second Avenue, um, which spans I think four or five blocks has three, three separate Metro Mover Transit stations on it that to the convenience aspect or just, just make it perfect to get into Brickell. You know, the Metro, if you know the Metro Mover Loop, it'll take you to downtown. It takes you over to the east side um, by the Herald Building, the Perez Art Museum, and then takes you downtown all the way into Brickell area. So it was tremendous to be able to have the opportunity to aggregate all those properties and be able to develop um, private residential towers and things that would directly integrate and tie into the Metro Mover system. My partner Priya, who's here, is working on the third station right now that we're tying into with another um, at the north end of the project. And then to be two blocks away on the west edge of the project to the Brightline station, the Metro Rail station, which takes you to the airport, down to Dadeland, and be able to be that that close to that. And then the Brightline came along was just tremendous for, for, for us to be able to be in the, in the center of all of that. Provides a ton of convenience, a lot of um, very attractive in terms of residential units and who wants to live there and how they're going to get around because it gets them out of the cars, which was exactly the point of um, of the project. Let's get people live, living, working, playing in the same area out of their cars and into the transit systems that really weren't being used much at all. Brightline is even still still struggling, although the ridership's improving slowly. And the last piece of of that um, we're working on right now the the old Miami Heat Arena site right now we're working on that and that's technically part of miami world center but that's really the the last link that we need to connect between metro mover and bright metro rail and Brightline to the rest of the miami world center project and the metro mover sites so some of what we're doing in there is, is creating a very well-defined pedestrian connectivity between the Brightline station and that'll go all the way east through the miami world center project and 
out to out to American Airlines Arena, the Perez Art Museum, and other things along the bay there. So, um, a lot of strategy went into it. Um, Miami Dade Transit's not not easy to work with. Everything they do has to go out to FDA, so it takes years to move through anything. But the commitment was made very early to to, uh, to go ahead and do that. In terms of experience. When you walk out of one of these buildings, one of the residential buildings or eventually the office buildings or medical office buildings that they're going to have there, what do you experience? What do you want into? Where are you going? All of your amenities are basically planned through the through the zoning entitlement. You have residential, I'm sorry, you have retail, you have restaurants all along the bottom floor of all of these towers and podiums and residential uh, developments, um, which provide all of your irregular amenities. Sergio spoke about the need to have private amenities versus public amenities. That's very important too. And on the podiums of the residential towers, you have a lot of state-of-the-art private amenities where your residents can stay up there, do things up there that are with other residents and not be mixed in with the public. So that was there was some forethought to that too. Um, if you've been to the Paramount Tower, they have a tremendous um, amenity, podi- uh, amenity uh, on top of their podium on the ninth floor which is all the pools and things that you see there and all of that's private. And that was by design too. We could have gone through and, and put another 2000 residential units on top of it and got rid of it, but they were, they were committed to that and, uh, and provide that private amenity, uh, amenity space to that. So when you walk outside of one of these buildings, you have dog parks, you have water features, you have the museums that we spoke about. And then to the North, just a couple of blocks away, the, uh, the under deck, which is a, a park linear park project. It's going to be 60 acres that we're working on as well um, for the design on is going to really connect our, the Miami world center project, the museums and other things like that to Overtown, to the Northern side of that, to the, to the, uh, to the Adrian Arts center and things like that. So it's, it's really coming together very nicely um, in terms of all the amenities that are around there, all the, the concepts and ideas that are created to, to help make it a, um, a 15-minute city. Thank you, Aaron. I kid around with Adrian. I, I called her a representation of the new age human. And Adrian, if you can just let us know, before the main was built on a scale of 1 to 10, where was your happiness level? It's like a 4. <laughs> I mean, not at home. Not at home. No. Not from the, no, it, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that great. That's her husband questioning her. <laughs> you should have told me. <laughs> After the main has been built and you've established this new way of living and being, where is your happiness level on a scale of one to ten? Let's call it a nine because there's always room for improvement. <laughs> so can you give us some insights from your personal experience? as to how your life has become more convenient. And if you'd like, please share a great experience that you've had in the building now that it's built that you definitely would not have had prior to it being built. Yeah, I mean, I think um, just personally speaking, I was sort of the target market when we were developing, not just me, but you know, I was within a certain age range where there's a lot of talent within that range being recruited to Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then similarly, residential was targeting uh, that sort of young professional uh, age range. Now, this is going back years. I'm no longer in that age range anymore. But um, 
you know, at the time, I think personally speaking, I was, you know, I was working in a, a very nice building on Las Olas. It was our headquarters. And uh, just every day, you know, having two kids at home, I would run out during lunch, go pick up groceries, figure out what I'm going to make for dinner. And it would take forever. You know, you're, you're going to Publix that's far away or, or, you know, Whole Foods or whatever it is. Um, and that became very routine for me. And that was fine. Uh, and then, you know, after we moved into the main, everything sort of just gelled, which was amazing. You know, my daily run to the grocery store was downstairs at Greenwise. I could call my daughter in the middle of the day or text her while she's at school and say, what do you want for dinner? I'm here. Is it sushi? Is it uh, salad pizza? Should I make chicken? I mean, whatever it is. And she could tell me and I could bring it home on nights that I'm working late or we have stuff going on. Um, I could pick up, you know food from one of the restaurants or from Greenwise and the hot bar. So my life became far more convenient to the point where after the pandemic, I ran back to the office. I couldn't get back fast enough. And I joke with my husband all the time because I've always worked from home one day a week, you know, for more than a decade. Um, but it's not convenient anymore. Being at home isn't as convenient as being in the office. I find that I get more done. All of my amenities are there. And I think that when we developed this building, we, we were very mindful of that. You know, back five years ago, there were 5,000 units. Oh, sorry. No, there were, there's 25,000 units right now in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Five years ago, uh, it was like half. So there was a significant amount of development over the last five years and of all luxury residential. So, you know, we were getting to this point where we knew we were going to have the density and we really needed a grocer and we needed to figure out how to create that level of convenience that we're talking about now. And so bringing in the restaurants, the grocery, it wasn't just for the main, it wasn't just for that community. It was for all of the new residential in downtown. It was for the hotel across the street. Um, in part, you know, luckily... And we're very humbled by it, but the main was a catalyst for a lot of other development and a lot of other uses uh, that were that that came about after we developed the main. And now, you know, there's a beautiful park that's being renovated that's going to be a central event location. Um, so, you know, downtown really has a lot of the characteristics that a neighborhood needs. Um, and we, you know, we're we're not as advanced as Miami was. We didn't have that density, you know, and. And when you think about it, Fort Lauderdale was sort of, you know, on the precipice of something far greater. And the fact that so much was being developed in such a short time was going to create, you know, gave us the opportunity to create that, that level of convenience. So, you know, we're, it was, it was just a good opportunity and we knew what we needed and my life became better. And I would imagine everybody else in downtown was feeling the same. Great. Thank you, Adrian. Moving on to the topic of well-being. So well-being is not about a spa experience, and that's not what we're talking about today. What we'll be talking about is how our experts and their companies take into consideration the overall well-being of all those that come into the premises of their properties. This is a very lengthy topic. All of these are very deep topics, so we're just trying to highlight and give you a big picture overview. So Sergio, if you can give us one, I know you've got a lot. <laughs> if you can, the one that comes to mind with regards to the project and what your team has been doing to look at that concept of well-being. 
Yeah. So um, you ask the architect to say one thing, man, good luck. <laughs> now, so, you know, when we looked at uh, big picture and I, I, I mentioned like our residential units, our C3 units, our building is V-shaped. The, the focus for that on a resi perspective was, you know, when we're at home, we, we have uh, the level and when you live in a single family home, you have the opportunity to connect with the outdoors, both with natural light, you have windows, you can open them, you may have uh, cross ventilation, uh, particularly if, if you actually hired an architect, you should have all those things. But uh, so how, do, how can we do that on a large development, on a building, on a high rise? And we paid, we paid a lot of attention and a lot of effort went in to try to make sure that we did that. And then once we did that in the big building, then we had an interior designer that we had to convince that the interior of the units should embrace that as well. So those were elements that were of importance to us. You talked about the floor to ceiling glazing. We have it on uh, vision glazing, um, low iron and all the public. So Apple, uh, Apple store glass on the public side. On the uh, residential side, we have some reflectivity for privacy that goes back to as well an idea of well-being that has to be with how we perceive our own environment. Thank you, Sergio. Aaron, we've talked about this idea of shading and water features. And these are concepts that don't get talked about in the media, but if you could provide some insight as to the tremendous amount of attention that you and your team pay to this notion of shading because it's damn hot down here. <laughs> Walking your project nine months of the year is challenging. So if you could give us a little bit of insight into that, that would be great. So how many people are willing to walk two, three, four, five blocks to a, a meeting with a client or somebody else and not think they're going to be soaking wet or get rained on? The whole way. So that was that was kind of the idea. Getting people, it goes back to getting people out of their cars and things. Um, the project started off at 30 acres. The 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 private developer and owners dedicated over five acres of um, of private land, which they also lost some density on, to be able to create wide sidewalks, shaded shaded canopies, canopy trees, provide the environment for people to move through the project. Um, and then as we as we were developing that. Um, we were up in Jacksonville picking out huge trees that we could bring down to the project and groves of, you know, oak groves and things like that so that we could get immediate shade. Um, on majority projects, you'll see people put in the smallest trees they can. The first thing to get value engineered is the landscape architecture. They put in, you know, two inch sticks that take 50 years to grow and a two foot tree well, and things don't ever work out, right? You're still in blazing heat for, um, for the next 20 years and you, you saved a couple bucks here, but nobody's willing to walk past your building. So that's, that's really what we focused on. Um, and in giving back that land was trying to, trying to provide a, you know, if you want to call it an urban microclimate, their, their tech, their entire textbooks on it that, that I, I never would read, but I knew that if we created this type of environment and provided shade and shade structures, that would, that would at least help facilitate people moving through the project. Um, and walking through the project rather than driving two or three blocks to the next parking garage that, that we could have something long-term that would be successful. So that was definitely the main focus for us. Um, Sergio speaks to amenities and private amenities and things like that. And within the private residence, uh, residential buildings, that was a big focus for us too. Everybody wants to do the next big thing on an amenity deck and, and make it look great and have people feel like they've, they've got a, a secluded area to be, 
uh, alone or with their fellow residents. And that was, that was probably the other big, big focus with us and all tying that back to getting to the, uh, to the transit stations. So. Next July, you and I have a date for a meeting outdoors at Miami World Center at 12 p.m. Let's test it out. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Aaron. Adrian, people always ask me, do tenants actually use the gym in an office building? Many times you go to an office building and if they do happen to have a gym, it's one of those gyms that's maybe smaller than this room. The equipment is from the 1990s, but that's not the case with the main. So can you give us a little bit of insight as to what that gym looks like and maybe your personal experience as well? Sure. Uh, so it's a 3,500 square foot gym with top-notch equipment, a uh, place to spin, do, you know, the rope, not aerobics, but you know, like uh, mat workouts, yoga, things like that. Um, and really the showers and the, the bathroom area is just gorgeous. You know, it's dedicated showers and changing areas and it all feels very spa-like. Uh, and that, you know, that we borrowed from the hospitality sector. You know, we knew that in office um, that really didn't exist. And so a lot of office buildings don't dedicate space to gym, obviously, because it's rentable. It could be rentable square feet. And so building out our amenity deck um, was a commitment. Uh, we we knew that in order for us to recruit or, or to lease to tenants who wanted to recruit and retain top tier talent, we were going to have to offer them amenities so they could feel like going to the office uh, was still a little bit like going, being home. And, you know, luckily that really worked out for us because we got hit with a pandemic and that amenity deck and those, that full range of amenities um, is what differentiated us in the market. There were some other things we did when it came to wellness too, um, because of the pandemic, an ionized air filtration system, which was very expensive to incorporate very late in the development, uh, touchless door fixtures, elevators, things like that, that, you know, really, um, we had to incorporate late in the game, but you know, it changed the way we would develop office forever. We will never go back to doing it the way we did. We will always concentrate on shared community space, on amenities, on wellness, filtration. Um, it, there's, you know, feeling when you walk in the building, you breathe better when you're in your office the light that you get from that glazing, from those 12 foot ceilings, you know, we would, we would never do it differently. So the fitness center back to the original question gets used. I almost think people just feel better when they're breathing better air and it motivates them and they're staying in the office a little later. It's a very comfortable environment. And so, um, yes, it's used all day, mostly in the morning, noon, and then after work, I am definitely one of the people who uses it, even though I have two pieces of Peloton equipment at home, I still use that gym. And I know a lot of my colleagues also have home. They live, live in residential buildings where they have gyms at home and they still use it. So just having that convenience and the ability to do it at any time um, has been hugely beneficial and honestly is what, is what made the building so successful post-pandemic. Great. Thank you, Adrian. And just a quick time check, I apologize. We did start late. We had a few hiccups. So some of you mentioned you may have to leave early because you have families. And I'd recommend now being a good time because we're 
about to transition if you have to leave into the next section. Brent, having a vision to sell and a story to tell is the future in any industry. Real estate, not alone. What we're looking at here is a little bit of information on the branded residential sector. 688 branded residences in 2022 globally. Interesting fact. What's really interesting is the growth since 2017 in residential, plus 62% based on the pipeline. Fast forward, they don't give me a year, but I looked at it as from the perspective of 2030 and beyond. And we see that we'll have over a thousand residential branded developments in the pipeline. 1,000 globally. Look at that growth. Here are some of the big names. Coincidentally, Sergio and I didn't talk about this, but coincidentally, Four Seasons is on top. How many of you know the Four Seasons brand name? How many of you have stayed in a Four Seasons? Key question, was it worth the money? Raise your hand if you feel it was worth the money. (laughs) Bonus. So Four Seasons leads the way. Ritz-Carlton, right after that. St. Regis, and then some other very notable brand names. 75 projects, 53 completed, 22 in the pipeline for Four Seasons, 48 completed for the Ritz-Carlton, 24 in the pipeline. Premier brand names doing residential projects all over the globe. This is my favorite slide. This is really interesting. (laughs) So we're talking about brands, but there's this word that I came up with that I feel is going to be relevant to Dubai, and that is the word over-brandification. We have to be careful. We can't just stick a brand on a project like Honda (laughs) and expect it to just sell out. Dubai has 45 branded residences. South Florida has 38. South Florida has 18 in the pipeline. Dubai has 33 in the pipeline. New York City is right behind that. 23 and 6 in the pipeline. What I find very interesting is that look at the climates of Dubai and South Florida. And I ask you, is there a connection between branded residential projects and fantastic weather? Yes, it's hot here, but we're all here for a reason. We love it. And also, is there a connection, again, these are deeper topics, between level of happiness, branded projects, weather? Are we talking about the future of the happiness index? Maybe. Maybe not. So this next section of the program will be talking about this concept of brand, a vision to sell 
a story to tell. Why are we not doing that in the commercial world in a much larger way? Who knows Ian Schrager? Not personally, but who's heard of Ian Schrager? Sir, what do you know him for? Condition? Studio 54? Anyone else? Ian Schrager Hotels? Delano. Who's been to the Delano? Keep your hands up if you feel that was such an amazing experience. He was on it. He really created a revolution. He took the concept of a hotel and created this unbelievable experience, and he's still doing it. He's no longer, from what I understand, with Marriott and on the edition, but he's got his new baby, Public Hotels. Beautiful hotels, amazing visionary. Why are we not doing that same concept and model with office buildings? Think about it. If you knew what a branded experience was like in a specific office building, and that brand was located in different cities, and you were charged with handling all the leasing for your company, and you love the specific experience of a building, most likely you'd consider going to that building in another city because you know what that experience would be like. So what we're going to do right now is run you through a fully integrated project starting model where you will see us having a discussion. I've created some questions. We don't have time to go through each and every one of them, but we will go through some of these questions so we can get the perspectives of some of our experts on the idea that I propose. So we'll start off with Adrian, since you have the mic. And plus, this would be fun to hear your perspective from a marketing point of view. What would an Apple-branded office building feel or look like to you from a marketing perspective? What would you do if you had an Apple-branded office building to work on? I would make it simple like the iPhone. I would make it feel like everything is just one click away. It would be fully integrated, all operated through your iPhone, I would suspect. And it would just, the technology would just be simple. It would be the same way that I would think of my phone. That's kind of what the, the allure of the iPhone is. It's, 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 it's simplicity. So the building would have to be simple. Every entryway would have to be easy to access. Uh, the fitness center, the, the amenities, they would all have to be tech-driven. Um, everything would have to be fully integrated. And I think, you know, if that was, they would have to feel like you never have to leave. I think that's what it would feel like to me. Great. From a design standpoint, Sergio. Apple stores. Who loves the design of an Apple store? Amazing. Please, if you can give us some thoughts as to what comes to mind if HKS was doing an Apple-branded office building. That would be great. We actually are, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, and, and there's a video on LinkedIn, and if you approach me later, I'll, I'll connect with you and I'll send it to you. But when Steve Jobs came back to, to Apple and, and, and 
I guess, took over again, became a CEO again. You know, that's when he, they shortly thereafter, he, if you believe him, launched Think Different. And I don't know if everybody's old enough to remember Think Different, but the whole notion of what they bring to the table is to communicate to us in, in what I describe as the intersection between beauty and performance that we never knew we needed or could be done that way, which goes to one click away. I have everything uh, here. And, and that, to me, I don't know, maybe our kids, when you tell them, draw me a store, they will draw that. Just like when we drew a house and it has a little triangle at the top and a, and a chimney. But that's not ever what retail was meant to be. And it's a showcase. And it's a showcase not just for the product, but it's a showcase that you can live in and you can go and experience. And I personally love going to the stores, even if I'm not buying anything, because there's beautiful things. I'm a fan. They work great. And the spaces that they created have this propensity to somehow bring people together and connect. And there's other people there that all they want to do is connect with you. And you might have to get in line and do all these other things. But So if, if I think of an office building as to what they can do, the first thing I would do is we have to figure out what the status quo is and then establish how we're going to make it different. Thank you, Sergio. Aaron, the pesky engineer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's geek out, man. Come on. Give us the engineering perspective of an Apple branded office building. So we have, I don't know if there's too much engineering perspective to give on it. That's an amazing building. And, and we're working on the fruit store downtown in this, in this Miami world center project as well. And it's what I, what I find amazing about Apple is how innovative they are about, um, environmental conditions, net carbon buildings, um, energy efficiency, all of the things that you don't really realize goes into one of the buildings that they design is very, very well thought out. Um, the one that we're working on now, they're considering using uh, timber because because of the, the carbon storage and things and, and some of the other environmentally conscious um, initiatives that they're taking are really leading edge. So um, I think that's attractive. We have 8,000 people in, in the country um, in terms of staff and 100 offices. And the thought of being able to be in, in an environment like that, we're pretty cost conscious about our offices and we can really, you know, from an engineering perspective, we can't go in and, and, and have an attorney's office or it looks kind of ridiculous, right? So we're, we're somewhat cost effective on that. But to be able to be in an office environment like that and have our staff work in a place like that where, um, where daylight's coming in, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, you've got 12 foot ceilings and the things that Adrian talked about um, creating in an office environment. We, we, our staff works really hard. Priya's sitting out there right now thinking, yeah, you're right. And we're pulling 50 hours a week pretty consistently. But to be able to have that happen in an environment like that would be, would be tremendous for us. And it, it really goes back to what you said in terms of you want people to work hard. You want people to feel good where they, where they live and where they work. And, and that would be tremendous for, for a firm like ours. Um, from an engineering side, I'm glad they're using those materials and, and and they're thinking of uh of 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 those types of things to be you know net carbon zero this is going to be the first building that they do like that so um it's it's interesting and and uh, I, I really respect the fact that they're doing that 
um, or they're performing that way because we, we all need our buildings to work like that. And, and they're right out at the front edge of it. So. Great. Thank you, Aaron. And how many of you work from home? How many of you would be more motivated to go into the office if there was a building like this? Interesting. How many of you are lying? <laughs> We're not going to answer all of these with our experts. Otherwise, we'll be here till midnight. But I just have a few questions that I'll be flying through just to provide you with some ideas and perhaps some information to ponder. Imagine a Tesla branded residential building. This would be cool. A Whole Foods branded community. How many of you go to the grocery at least three times a week? Once a week? Once a week. Okay, so we'll go once a week. How many of you have gone to the grocery store and sometimes forgot something because you were rushing to go somewhere else? That's a big one. Now imagine you have a community that's designed with your convenience in mind, the experience of going to a supermarket is not very enjoyable sometimes, but imagine if a community was created in such a way that one day you walk home after a long day of work and your fridge is stocked. Imagine that feeling. <laughs> Now, this can be applicable in a city or a suburbs environment. Just something to think about for the future. Pete Wells is a New York Times food critic. Who's familiar with Pete Wells and his reviews? So he's had an interesting shift in the past couple of years. I've been reading his reviews for several years. And he always used to focus on the best restaurants. The best restaurants being the biggest names, the biggest name chefs, the most, of money, most amount of money put into the build-out, all the fancy stuff, all the stuff that us New Yorkers love, right? <laughs> That's changed. Now what he does is he also looks at the overall vibe and the experience of the restaurant. So the question I pose to you, can we integrate an experience factor into the systems that we are designing for the real estate industry? Can that be a layer on an energy star system or a lead system? Or is this going to be such a big topic that we create a brand new system just focused on the experience? Now we'll be turning to our experts. Who's familiar with the restaurant Noma? Has anyone dined at Noma? So Noma has been noted as the best restaurant in the world for five years. That is insane. That is not easy to achieve. I haven't been there. I was hoping to make it there. Maybe one day I will. But what's interesting is that the owner just shocked the restaurant industry earlier this month and announced that after the year 2024, they will be closing down. Shocking. Five years, best restaurant in the world. What they're going to be replacing it with is a concept that's a laboratory. No one really knows the details of the laboratory. That's to be determined. But starting in 2025, he'll be creating a laboratory concept. And the use of that space will shift 
with time. So what is a pop-up restaurant one day could turn into something completely different the next week. This is a multiple layered question, experts. So please try and please bear with me and try and follow this. Who recognizes this man? We had this amazing picture of Mr. Obama in the White House with his daughter, Sasha, when she was nine years old, peeking around that couch to see if daddy was looking. The picture was not high res, and that's one of my pet peeves, so we're not using it. <laughs> but we found this other picture. The President of the United States. Has anyone heard of that title? One of the most important men on planet Earth. Essentially, doesn't exactly do it, but essentially works from home. Why isn't the media talking about that? Why aren't there great stories from the spin doctors about the fact that one of the most powerful men on planet Earth successfully, not looking to get political, <laughs> successfully works from home. Now for the punchline. Eight Shenton Way is a vertical community being built in Singapore to be delivered to the built environment 2028-2029. Multiple uses under one roof, residential, office, retail, public plaza, hotel. All of these concepts within one roof. So we have this three-part question for our experts. We've got this idea of spaces shifting with time. We've got this notion of work from home may not necessarily be work at your kitchen table or in a cubby that you create for yourself and you try and block out everyone else and hope that they don't interrupt you. And then we've got this idea of vertical communities that is popular in Asia, not so popular here in the United States as of yet. Time Warner Center in New York was a great example of this. Where do we go from here? It's very confusing. Who wants to tackle it? I mean, the, the idea of community is important. It's, it's what is, is really what helps shape every one of us. You know, I, I'll, I guess I'll speak it from, from my perspective of, you know, when we started having children, it was the notion and the conversation was about you know, who do we want around our kids and how do we want to get them, uh, them to be impacted by that? Um, but the thought of the availability within your community, I think, is what this is uh, more closely driven uh, to. And the opportunity that, that if we get to, to take our 10, 15-minute city and we get to condense it, and we get to do it all in a, into one spot, how much more convenience and how much more comfort are we going to have? Which I think there's a lot of value in that. Now, me personally, maybe I'm a hopeless romantic, but I like the idea of discovery. And if we have the opportunity to go beyond our immediate communities, I think that's enriching. And now I don't like the idea of being in the car for an hour. That's for sure. But the, the thought of how do we get this project or the project like that to be enriching to those that inhabit it, 
but also to those that perhaps live around it and and can come and you have the opportunity to to engage with others and 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 to expand on that i think is where the real value is uh, so maybe put another way from with my hospitality hat if we were to build all or design all our hotels to be like walmart where i know where i'm going to find everywhere then you're never going to get that feeling of traveling being the only thing you buy that makes you richer because you're only going for the same so i think there's an important element uh that that needs to that we need to take beyond the essence of just let me make sure that i have every single thing that i need in life uh readily available on my fingertips or next to me um now also because of my age and background etc i've never had that so it could be that my bias is affecting that notion so i don't know it's an interesting conversation that that's why i kind of like i'm not sure how to tackle that yeah it's these are very deep topics we're just scratching the surface here adrian what do you think you know i sometimes i think that that might be just a matter of available land and density and what can we do with the parcel that we have i think sometimes it starts there as simple as that might be um you you want to maximize your land just from a development perspective um if not and i don't know the vision behind this and how this came about but it, let's just say they wanted to create this all integrated vertical vertical community You know, I think from a branding perspective, uh we struggle to give things an identity and to tell a story. And here it kind of all falls under one roof and it would be interesting to me as a case study to figure out how all of that plays well together. You know, I think that when we brand our residential communities, we've got everything in them. You know, they've got amenity space and gyms and and workrooms and they can you know their office doesn't have to be in their apartment because they've got so much area uh throughout their buildings you know and and we've provided that and and it almost feels like they never have to leave home but they do and that's good and that's kind of you know what Sergio was pointing to we don't want to be the place that no one has to leave we just want to provide conveniences so people feel like they're getting more from where they live or work but that sense of exploration i think is very valid and um i think that the sense of privacy is equally valid so you know without knowing that much about a project like this um i think that when you're developing a community it is important to give things a sense of place and when things have their sense of place whether it be here and there and there and then there is a central place where they can come together there's something magical about that and i think that's what we found over the last few years with these multi-use projects that have all of these different components but the one thing they share typically is some sense of common area where they can all sort of cross each other and um i don't know how to achieve that in a place like this you know maybe maybe it's a room you know maybe it's the park downstairs but it just seems like it's all kind of blended together and do you bl- get to a point where you blend so much that nothing is anything so i think those 
those um, identities and those uh, different uses, it's sometimes important to preserve the sanctity of just those things. You're all things for all people. And then sometimes that makes you nothing. So I don't know. I, I, it's a lot to wrap my head around. Um, I think it, you know, maybe in some sense it, it could be very useful. I just kind of like the way that um, I've been watching these multi-use communities develop. I think that there's something to that. Great. Thank you. Aaron, with your experience at Miami World Center, the idea of a 15-minute city is so prevalent. Can you shed some light on this topic and what you've seen there so far? Yeah. Um, w when I think of something like Miami World Center, if you took that, that project and you flattened it out over, I don't know, 150 or 200 acres to do the same thing on a single story and, and you, and you clear-cut 250 acres of forest or natural resources so that you could do an urban or I mean a suburban sprawl type development like this. You, you, you use so many resources. There's so much waste to it. And when, you know, from an engineering perspective for me, it, yeah, it's more expensive to go vertical maybe, but from all the infrastructure and other things you're providing, it's much less. Um, you don't need as many roads. You don't need as many, you don't need as many utilities and things sprawled out over thousands of acres to get the same amount of, of density that you can get here. And long-term, I think that's really important for us to think about. And if we can create communities where you have those amenities that have identity, like Adrian and Sergio are talking about, that, that make themselves unique, but still provide those other types of things that somebody wants in a suburban environment, you could draw more people into the city, have less suburban sprawl, less development out there like that. that I mean, I, I live in a house and I have a yard too, and I kind of appreciate that. But if something like that were available, you know, you might think about living in an ur a more urban environment like that if it had all those amenities and it was unique. So that was, I mean, my perspective on it is, I think these need to continue to develop, and 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 um, and I think that will continue to draw more people into cities and into urban areas, and I think it'll use less resources over time. Sergio, you have an additional thought. You know, I think that it's interesting when you when you think of it from that perspective. For me, Aaron, I think you're spot on. I think maybe, uh, and it, again, it could be my bias when I look at a building like this, and I and what we're talking about is, you know, maybe it's a question of scale. Maybe we should talk about it's an integrated uh, building or a community integrative building. But could the notion of having this big building now not be not provide any sunlight to that guy. Because of the scale of it is 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 maybe a little bit of what I'm having an issue with. Now you're right, Singapore, maybe portions of Miami have commonality of challenges in in uh, real estate, and therefore you have to go up, and and that's that's that. But the value that this person's going to have versus the value that this person's going to have that always has a park in front of it is diametric like that it's different it's it that'll it's night and day you know and, and on that thought across the street from the main is a uh a, a, it's a condo hotel it's condos and then separately it's a hotel um so you get a little bit of that and then it's restaurants downstairs and so that is a little bit of a vertical community the experience is different for everyone there it's different for for the condo owners it's different for the the people the patrons of the hotel um, for the, the people visiting the restaurant, we're doing a little bit of that, of course, not on that scale, 
But when you think about it, we are doing a little bit. We've got a community where you have um, grocery, restaurants, banks, office, residential, all within a block. You know, maybe it's not just one parcel, but it's just two. It's, it's not grossly different. And from the looks of the size of that, it looks like it's probably taking up quite a bit of acreage. So that might even amount to a block. So we're doing a little bit of it, but um, yeah, I think, I think Sergio is right. I think it really comes down to scale because if you were to put that everywhere, then uh, you, you are sort of missing the feel of that open community and that open connectivity. And that's really important for downtowns is that that open air, the connection between your neighbors and the element of privacy. So I think we're doing a little bit of both. Um, maybe we'll get there. I don't know, but it's interesting. Thank you for that. Side note, I spoke with your colleague, Adrian Kevin, and Kevin is an individual that works at Styles. He lives in the community and he works in the community. He never works from home. He always goes to the office which he told me, I think it was a one minute commute. And what was interesting for those money-minded people here, anyone money-minded? In real estate, doesn't exist. <laughs> he said, I will pay more for convenience. He's 30 years old. He's a millennial. Think about, we are primarily Generation X providing these perspectives. My son's generation, Generation Z, then Generation Alpha, born after 2010. How are they going to look at their lifestyle decisions going forward? Something to think about. A few more quick ones. If we were to develop a commercial real estate brand, what would you call it? That's, a, that's something to think about. A commercial real estate brand. I'm not going to answer that. No problem. Because no problem. if I did, it wouldn't be right. There's a lot of thought that needs to go into things like that. Um, it, it depends on the time um, and it depends on what we're doing. Commercial real estate spans a lot of different types. Are we talking? If you were forced and you were a expert in a round table and you were being asked the question, what would you call it, Adrian? Hypothetically. I, that's what I was just saying. What are we talking about? What type of commercial are we talking about? Let's say we were developing a building that had commercial office and retail. And we were doing this project in five tier one cities across the country. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So there are residential brands, uh, it, not even in hospitality, but just residential developments. Office um, and retail. That's fine, but but this is akin to to uh, a resident like Elon, which is there's tons of them around the country, and so you're talking about a unique office uh, product yes. that would be developed all under the same brand. Imagine the equivalent of W Hotels, for example, global brand being developed across the country. So here here's why branding is difficult in commercial office. It's not always about the name of the project. It's never about the name. It's never about the name. 
It's about what makes that project special. It's about what's unique. And when it comes to developing office, there has to be a draw. Sometimes it's you're at the heart of the city. You're on, in the, in the example of the main, you know, we were literally on Los Olas and Third, which. Adrian, what would you call it? Feel free to pass the mic if you need some time. It's a troubling question to ask a branding person. That's why I put her on the spot. I'd call Adrian. <laughs> and I would think through that for a, for a while before I answered it. Uh, I would, I would call it. I'd call it one. That's what I would call. It. Sergio, the one. There you go. <laughs> we are such a good team. See, project starting team in effect right here. Yes, that's my name. I'm sticking with it. I'll add one more word and call it the only one. Oh, my God. Oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> now you see the value of our model. <laughs> Quick question. Again, very loaded question. I get it. Finishing up here. Last couple questions. And we're going to start with Aaron. Because to me, this is definitely an engineering challenge right now. And I won't go into how, we don't have that time, but Aaron, by the year 2030, will we see flying cars in the built environment in Miami? I have specific experience with planning for that at the Paramount Tower in the, the, the existing pool on the 59th floor, I think, is... is is going to be filled and become a structural slab for the first um, two, three person aerial taxis, whatever they're calling them. You know, they've got the designs out and everybody's competing to get the, uh, to get the entitlements and the airspace and the rights to be able to do that. But I would say by 2030, that's a good question. 2035. Yeah. 2030. Not sure. I, th I think the majority of that lies with, um, not so much the development because I think it's there of the product, but more how they, how they how they're going to work with the FAA. I mean, imagine Miami drivers up in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> over over an active over an active airstrip. Like we can't even handle it on the road right now. How are we going to do it up in the air? So, <laughs> right. So, there's my engineering answer to that. Adrian, if you have any unique perspectives on. Whether or not. No, but I'd call them Fly One. That's what I'd call them. What's <laughs> my name? Fly Once. <laughs> I, would, I would only say that in my mind, the answer is maybe, <laughs> but not in the U.S. I think we'll see that happen somewhere else first. Like Dubai. Maybe Dubai. Somebody, some, somewhere else that's not all about regulation and litigation. And... So by 2030, it's, uh, it's fast. I mean, I, I, I bought a drone and I guess it's a little bigger than I should have. And I can't fly it. I have to have a license. So, so don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Great. Thank you all for those insights. So we were talking about 2030 and beyond. How many of you enjoy living in South Florida? That's a commonality down here. We know Miami will never be New York, 
This is, I know, a heated discussion amongst many people. I won't get into all that right now. But Miami is in a very unique position to be one of the most enjoyable cities on planet Earth. If we're able to look at Miami and the value of Miami, not from the notion of GDP, but from the perspective of dynamic convenience, experience first, and well-being, we have a shot at being one of the most enjoyable cities on planet Earth. What's very interesting about Miami is that we also have this opportunity to create what we call a multinodal city. What that simply means is several forms of downtown. Most cities will have a downtown area. But here, what we see in the city is that projects like Miami World Center, there are several sites that are in the city that Aaron and I were discussing before that also could be like the next Miami World Center, slightly smaller, about 18 acres. And what we say is that there's this great opportunity to integrate the institutional sophistication of cities like New York with the innovational creativity of South Florida. New York is very rigid. It's very old school in some ways. It's very traditional. What takes, it takes sometimes 10 years for something to get passed in New York because guess what? They haven't done it that way. Miami, of course, has its challenges, but it's more forward thinking. Because of that and the importance of innovational creativity, we will see a very, very different and exciting city in the years 2030 and beyond. A fun fact is that there are now 1,120 city-sized projects being developed in 40-plus countries. This movement of creating live, work, stay, and play development projects and communities is picking up steam in a major way. There is going to be a tremendous opportunity to bring in this idea of branding and creating multinodal cities. So with all that in mind, experts, look at this in any way, shape, or form. This will be one of your final thoughts for the evening. Please give us your vision for our great city of Miami in the years 2030 and beyond. I would say the continued urban growth in Miami and drawing people into the city is, is one of them. Um, is one of the elements that'll be critical. Um, I think that improving and integrating transit and mass transit into, into Miami is going to be critically important. We're the third largest city in the country. And I think we're ranked 25th in terms of transit and where it really goes. Um, I think that needs to, to continue to improve. We need to get to Doral. We need, you know, we need a transit system to Doral and back and some of the other, um, hubs. I also feel like, and this isn't, exactly development related but i feel like miami will attract more um more people from other areas to live and, and raise their kids here if the um frankly if, if the public education system's improved i mean that's a problem when when amazon was looking at sites down here in a headquarters 
down here and, and other big offices and firms and things think about moving down here is traffic and it's, and it's schools. I think we can, you know, the, the cities, the urban, the urban neighborhoods that we're building are great. The identity of Wynwood is fantastic and things like that. But I feel like to really take it to the next level and bring more people in, in that regard, we need to improve, improve the schools and, and, and be able to have everybody use transit more easily. So those would be my Great. Thank you, Aaron. Who's up next? I, I agree. I was going to mention also the, the education system. Uh, there, there's infrastructure issues here that, that have to be addressed and obviously transit education. I think that there's amazing opportunities for redevelopment. You know, I think, I think Miami's, um, Florida, as, as new as we are, uh, most of South Florida is fairly old when it comes to the housing and development. And so there are really amazing opportunities to redevelop these cities into more integrated spaces that have uh, education and parks and uh, museums and other things. And I think it's going to require a commitment from both the cities um, and the developers. There's going to need to be more partnership in the future. And that is occurring right now. Um, but more thoughtful partnership that really isn't about the bottom line, but that's more about the community that we're trying to create. And so if we are trying to attract young people and we need places for people to live, that all has to be thought of uh, at that you know, visionary table between the city, the developers, um, maybe even the architects, the engineers. So I, I think we're actually going toward that. Um, all of the new development that I'm seeing is really an integration of all of that expertise and those ideas. And I think cities want to be more than just how much is that development going to make me from a tax perspective. I think they want all of that uh, community-centric characteristics to come about. So I think 2030 and beyond, if we continue on this path, we'll see more of that in each of the cities. And then hopefully with the transit system and and some of the in innovation there um, we will have a more integrated multicultural south florida uh, which is pretty incredible i mean the, the culture here is unlike anything else so if we can just do that i think we'll have a pretty good 2030 so you know i think you hit the nail on the head and, and you took one of the one thing that i was going to add right? so no no so it's I'm going to say three things, three things, and expanding on the last one, I'll start with that one. I think for Miami's continued sustainability as a, as a city or as an urban area, we need to first and foremost figure out how we can have people actually live here that work here. Okay, there is a huge disconnect between uh, Miami wages and Miami costs. And, and it's going to take a lot of will from a lot of people, including political will, uh, to be able to, to overcome that. Um, second thing that I was going to say is we need to figure out how to make Miami sticky. A lot of people come, a lot of people go. And that fluctuation is a big piece that affects the cost of living here. Because people come, they spend money, and then they can go away. And that is key to a sustainable environment as a, as a working community is people have to want to be a part of the community beyond I'm just here for a few years. And it's interesting, and I'll speak to that from somebody that moved here, I guess, nine years ago now. Uh, the first time I thought, well, you know, I've been to Miami a ton of times, but it's just a fun town. And, and, it, it, and it wasn't until I came that I realized 
there is a very well ingrained community here of people that live and work and they build their lives in their second, third, fourth generation. But that's a much smaller percentage than what the perception of the overall uh, urban area drives. So, and I don't know how to solve that. I'm just saying we have to solve that. Uh, and if I did, I'd be running for something. But the, um, and the third thing uh, that I would say is, you know, the elements that we've seen in our city with the cultural growth, like I've seen the cultural growth in the last nine years, um, the, the effort to try to do better transportation needs to be coupled with some great urban um, design guidelines. Like if, if, if only our authorities actually had the ability, because they can't, it's, it doesn't work that way uh, here. There's not one strong mayor. But if they had the ability to say, this is the city limit, everybody gets to develop here. These are the heights. This is how it's going to taper. And it was contiguous. It would go a long way, a long way. Some of the cities have that. Yeah, but they're, they are, they're, yeah, but they're at odds with each other. They're disparate. Yeah, that's why that we do need some kind of overall uh, vision master plan for South Florida. I mean, it's just not a master planned area. It, it never was. The, South Florida wasn't made like that. So it's kind of hard to go backward, right? But exactly, exactly. But they're, they're really, uh, it, we just didn't get here like that. So I, I think overall, everyone sort of needs to come together to decide what they want Miami to be first. Sure. And then we can probably uh, make it something that will be sticky. Mm-hmm. And listen, in some ways they're doing that. If you think about all of the things that we're thinking about with climate change and how every single city, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, all of the coastal cities are coming together at a state level and thinking through how they are going to combat climate change. Are they going to raise roads? And it's all infrastructure. If we could do that for everything, if every city had certain guidelines, mm-hmm. like you said, um, it would it would change a lot of things pretty rapidly. Uh, right now, they're all operating in silos. So I'm glad you said that. It's a great segue into our final slide for today. X marks the spot. Gen Xers, please raise your hands. Gen Xers are 1964 to 1980. Why I'm saying X marks the spot is I'm also a Gen Xer. I feel that us in Generation X have to be the ones to push and bring this change forward. The idea to positively impact others and enhance the human experience does not necessarily resonate with baby boomers. There are some baby boomers that have adopted the lingo because their marketing and PR people have taught them how to do that. But they truly, in their hearts, do not feel impassioned by the idea of enhancing the human experience for the greater good and to lift others up. Mainly Generation X is very fired up about that idea. Why you see that diagram, the way it's set up, is Generation X, our parents, are baby boomers. Try to get your kids to understand the perspective of our parents. We, Generation Xers, already have a challenge sometimes 
understanding the way our parents think. We understand it because we grew up with them. That's how mom and dad are. My parents are sitting here, by the way. <laughs> and we've come to accept it. But try to explain that to your kids. Try to explain that to a millennial. It's not happening. It's very difficult. Some that are unique and forward-thinking get it. For the most part, they don't. Generation Z, explain to them the perspective of the baby boomers. Massive disconnect. There's tremendous wisdom, knowledge, and experience that baby boomers have. They are now passing it down to us in Generation X. This is a call to action to my fellow Gen Xers to start taking more aggressive action in our lives, in our workplaces, to bring about and affect change. If we don't do it, it's going to be very difficult to actually see it in our lifetimes. We have kids that are millennials. We have kids who are Generation Z. We can understand them to a certain degree. And then there's Generation Alpha. <laughs> who knows what they're going to be like, right? <laughs> so in conclusion, this program was to give you a lot to think about. Like I said, we have recorded it. If you'd like to get a copy of the recording, feel free to leave us your business card here. We'll be doing a video as well. And ideally, God willing, we'll be doing more programs like this because it is a movement to change and transform the built environment. Let's reimagine the future of our industry together. Thank you. And a round of applause for our experts. Sergio Saints, HKS. Adrian Zalkin of Styles. And Aaron Buechler, Kim Lee Horn. Thank you all. <laughs>